This is Lead Minister Nathan Pelahowski of RSCC. I just want to welcome you to the RSCC podcast. Here's something I want you to know. I want you to know that you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says that you matter when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Today I hope this message challenges you and encourages you to take your next faith step. Today I'm excited because we're going to start this series, and it's going to be a series that's going to run throughout the summer. In the middle of the series, we'll stop for one week and we'll have some missionaries speak. But it's the series that is going to tell you some of the most bizarre, wild, and for some people, some of the most disturbing stories in all the Bible. And as you can see is the logo, we're going to be going through the book of Judges. So we'll spend the entire summer going over this book. For, for so, those of you who don't know, Judges is a book, but it kind of refers to a, a period in time uh, in the Bible in the Old Testament. So today, uh, I'm going to be honest, today is to set this series up. We believe here context is really important. We believe that knowing why we're teaching something, knowing what's going on when we're teaching is important. So we're going to give you a lot of information. And there's going to be a lot of people I quote or I don't quote, but this research I, I gathered through the last several months on the book of Judges. So the book of Judges is a book and it refers to a time period and kind of the best way to explain this time period is it's, it's right after the Israelites get into the promised land and it's right before they get, a king, they get king. So we're going to say it this way, it's right before promised land and then there's judges and then eventually after the judges there will be kings, King Saul, King David and then all the other kings. So promised land, judges, kings, right? That's kind of the, the order that we'll, we'll go through. So what's happened is there's a man named Moses and he led the Israelites out of Egypt. Eventually he dies. There's a man named Joseph takes over. Joseph takes the Israelites into the promised land, Canaan, right? And, and then he dies. And then there, there are these 12 tribes that are left. And it's kind of like a commonwealth. It's kind of like the original 13 colonies. They have the, the, the same religion. They believe in the same God, same customs. But they were 12 distinct tribes. And the reason there are 12 tribes for uh, Israel is there's a man named Abraham, who had a son named Isaac, who had, who had a son named Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons, and these 12 sons become the 12 different tribes uh, of Israel. So these 12 tribes, Joshua dies, and these 12 tribes are to go into the promised land that God promised them, and then they are to drive out the Canaanites. They are dri to drive out the people in the land of Canaan, right? So they had no king, they had no like government. God was supposed to be their king. So it was supposed to work kind of like this. God was their king, and he's going to give them his laws to live by, and they're supposed to obey the law, basically. So when they need something figured out, they need to go to God. Like, God is their king. So he's going to give them the law, they're supposed to obey the law, and that's easy. They obey the law, they're good to go. They do what God says, God is going to bless them, and promise the, you know, bless them, and give them promised land, and things are going to be all okay. So God gives them what they're supposed to do, they don't do it. And all of a sudden, we have to raise up these, guys, these people that are called judges. And they're not like judges we think of today. They're, they're kind of like rulers or, uh, you know, officials or generals. And, and they kind of rescue the Israelites. And all these judges that we're going to talk about for the next several weeks, they're going to be broken saviors who can't ultimately deliver. They're going to be broken people. They're, they're going to prove to us, actually, why we needed Jesus. So they're going to prove to us that they're broken saviors who ultimately can't deliver. And the reason they can't deliver is because the Israelites were a lot like you and me. They like to do their own thing. Who, who here likes to be told what to do, right? Nobody likes to be told what to do, so what do we do? So we do what we want to do. 
the Israelites didn't like to be told what to do necessarily. So they did what they ended up, they wanted to do. And this ended up in a bunch of chaos and a bunch of messes. So in this book of Judges, you're going to see a cycle. And there's going to be a picture on the screen in a moment. And it's kind of the cycle of the Israelites. It, it, there's sin, right? So disobedience. And then there's destruction, the consequences. And then there's, they feel sorry for what they did. Right? And then there's deliverance. A judge will come in and deliver them. And then there's going to be time of peace. And they're, they're going to do it all over again. There's going to be tw many judges, uh, different judges. So there's, there's going to be sin, deliverance, or sin, destruction, sorrow, deliverance, peace. Over and over again, you'll see this cycle for 300 years. So let's go through it again. Sin, destruction, sorrow, deliverance, peace, rest. Over and over again. It's kind of like a kid, right? You're going you're to do something bad. You're going to get in trouble. There's going to be a consequence. You're going to maybe feel sorry. Your parents are going to forgive you. There's going to be peace. And then you're going to do something again you're not supposed to do, right? So that's the cycle. And one of the key themes of this book is we can actually find in the book, it tells us why there's a lot of issues. And it's Judges 17. And it says this, at this time there was no king. So each of them did what was right in their own eye. So because there's no king, they did what was right in their own eye. And again and again and over and over again, there's going to be trouble and chaos. But what's interesting is, isn't that a little bit like our world? Isn't that a little bit like how we live? Well, you know, do what you want. Do what makes you feel good. Do what you want to do because we don't like being told what to do. And we kind of live at times like there's no king and there's no one in charge. And this is what the judges are going to do. And this is what's going to happen in Judges. So you're going to see in Judges this cycle for 300 years. Deliverance, no destruction, sorrow, deliverance, peace. Right? Because in those days, Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. But what's interesting is, even if you're not religious, even if you know nothing about the book of Judges, we have something in common with Israelites back then. How many of you have ever disobeyed someone or something. Just raise your hand for me. All of us, right? All of us have disobeyed someone or something. Whether it was a kid, we were a kid and we disobeyed our parents. Maybe we, we sinned and we knew it was a sin. Maybe we disobeyed our boss, a coach, you know, a babysitter. We all disobeyed someone or something. And what happens? We get into trouble. And what do we do? We're like, oh my gosh, I'm in trouble. I need someone to get me out of trouble, right? So what happens is someone comes along and they forgive you. If you, get, if you get put in jail, they bail you out, right? They, they give you a second chance. They give you a fresh start. Maybe they put you in rehab, but you, diso you disobeyed someone or something. And we can relate to that. So as we go through the series, you're going to see this. The Israelites are just like you and I. And even though a lot of this information is bizarre and it's wild and it doesn't seem like it fits in our world or apply to us, what we learn from Judges is just applicable today as it was in the time of Judges. And you're going to see something. Every week, it's going to get a little worse. It's going to go from pretty good, okay, to bad, to worse. That is the structure of the book. So as we get to the end of the book, and what happens in the very end of the book is wild. It's crazy. It's going to be hard to speak about. It's going to be hard to talk about. In the middle of the book, you're going to see a man sacrifice his own daughter. You're going to see, we're going to go through some wild things. Someone's going to drive a spike through someone's head. Like there's going to be craziness. It's going to go bad from good, okay, bad to worse. So today we're going to be in just the two first chapters. 
And like I said, there was a man named Joshua, and Joshua dies. And they're in, the Israelites are in the promised land, and now they're looking for a new leader. They're looking for someone to lead them and, and guide them. So they go to God, and they say, God, who do you want to guide us? And this is what God says. He responds, he says, the Lord answered, Judah shall go up. I have given the land into their hands. God's like, I'm going to use you. All you have to do is obey and everything will be okay. So remember that. If we obey, everything's going to be okay. So they, 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 he, God tells them, I'm going to use you. We're, you're going to do amazing things. You're going to drive out the Canaanites. All's going to be good. So verses 4 through 19 Everything's good, right? You, you read about a, man, a king that they capture and they cut off his thumbs and big toes because that's what he used to do to other kings, right? So you, you start to see some chaos, but for the first several verses, verses 4 through 19, they're successful. It's going pretty good. Remember, it goes from pretty good to okay to bad to worse. Well, in verse 19, we start to see some of their slippage. They, they start to trip up a little bit. It says, The Lord was with the men of Judah. They took possession of the hill country, so they're winning the battles. But they were unable, and this is where we start to see that they're disobedient, right? They were supposed to drive everybody out. But it says they were unable to drive the people from the plains. And here comes their excuse. Because they had iron chariots fitted, they had chariots fitted with iron. That doesn't mean much to us, but what it meant back then is that these iron char chariots were like modern day tanks. They were far above other technology and they would allow you to wipe out many foot soldiers in one instance. And if you had iron, you were kind of technologically advanced. So the Israelites are like, listen God, we can't drive them out yet. Even though you, uh, we know you told us to, we can't drive them out yet because they have better weapons than us. And what, but what they forgot is, we got to think about, what does it matter if you have iron chariots if they have iron chariots and you have God, what's it matter, right? If they have iron chariots and you have God, it shouldn't matter. So they forgot that. So then things start to continue going on and we come to verse 28 in Judges chapter 1 and this is what it says. When Israel became strong, so they're strong, right? They're, they're not these weak little people anymore. They're people that are strong. They pressed the Canaanites into forced labor, but they never drove them out completely. Did God ever say anything about making people slaves? Did he ever say anything about keeping them around? He says, no, force them out completely. But they never drove them out completely. Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites living in Gazar. But the Canaanites, this is so important, the Canaanites continued to live there among them. And the key phrase of these verses, and I know some of the names are confusing, but it says this, never drove them out completely. They were supposed to completely drive out the Canaanites. What that means is they're basically supposed to wipe them out, to kill them, to get them out of the promised land. And they never did it. It said they lived, they made some of them slaves, and they lived among the Canaanites. So you start to see this little cycle of disobedience. And what, what's going to happen is these little issues that happen now are going to create big snowball effect and be, be big issues. But I want to stop and kind of digress for a second. One of the, the questions and one of the struggles with the book of Judges that people have, a lot of times in the Old Testament, is this. How could God tell them to kill or drive out so many innocent people? How, to, how could God basically tell them to kill the Canaanites? 
And, and that's a great question. But what we learn about the Canaanites is this. We, we learn from books like Deuteronomy and Leviticus that these Canaanites were not innocent people. That they were wicked people. That, that they continually lived a life far from God. And, and they were wicked people. That they believed in chi child sacrifice and all kind of sexual immorality. These were not good people. And at any time in the world, God has to bring judgment upon sin. Right? He has to bring judgment upon sin. And throughout history, he's done that in different ways. And in this time in the history, he uses Israel as the instrument to do this. So it's judgment upon the Canaanites who, I believe, would have had every opportunity for year, hundreds of years, thousands of years, to not live the way they were. So God says, you got to drive them out because if you don't, their wickedness is going to entrap you and, and enslave you. And I know that gets a slippery slope because in our lifetime and in history, people have done awful things in the name of God. And people are like, well, if the Israelites could do it back then, th then these people who are saying God told them to do it now, how can we believe them? How can we not believe them? Well, the difference is this, that Israel had a, a clear mandate and clear instructions from God. And God doesn't operate that way anymore. You see, we have the hindsight of knowing and the, the, the vision of knowing that Jesus came in this world. And Jesus came in this world and he didn't take life, but he gave his own life. And, and he came in this life, this life to forgive, forgive us, to show us mercy, to show us for, forgiveness and, and kindness. And as followers of Jesus, we're to show that now. So anybody who says God is telling him to do awful things in his name today, they're, they're off it, right? It's not, it's not how God operates. So as followers of Jesus, we don't operate like the Israelites operate. We operate like Jesus did. We offer mercy and love and forgiveness and we share the gospel. Because we know that one day, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to bring justice to the, the, the sin and the chaos in the world. Our job is to bring mercy and to bring the gospel. So that was just kind of a tangent as we get into this and we read some things that are going to be bizarre, right? I just want to fair warn you. So the Israelites are supposed to drive them all the way out, but they don't. It says the, the Canaanites lived among them. And then you get to Judges chapter 2. And what we're going to see today is we're going to look at three areas. We're going to start to see what caused the Israelites to be in the state that they were. So here's what it says. It says, the angel of the Lord went up to Gilgal, to Bochim, and said, I brought you out of Egypt... And led you into the land I swore to give you to your ancestors. Uh, I said, never will I break my covenant with you. So God's like, I told you I was going to take care of you if you obeyed. And it continues to say, and, and you shall, and I told you not to make a covenant with, and, and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land. You should not live with the people in this land. But you shall break down their altars. You should get away from their culture and all their chaos. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And I have also said, I will, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you. And their gods will become snares to you. God is saying, because of your disobedience, these people, the Canaanites, are going to be your downfall. And we start to see something that's so applicable to our lives. We start to see that little areas of disobedience can lead to big areas of disaster. Little areas of disobedience lead to big areas of disaster. It was just a small thing. They forced them into slavery and they didn't drive them out. Even though they were strong, they had the upper hand. 
But these Canaanites, as you're going to see through the next eight to nine weeks, are going to be the downfall of the Israelites. Their gods are going to become their gods. The, the disaster that they're going to bring, they're going to be a thorn in their side over and over again. They're going to ultimately put them in slavery. Little areas of disobedience lead to big areas of disaster. Now, on a, on a non-religious applicable way, we, we see this in everyday life. If, you, if you've ever bought a box that said some assembly required, right? And, and you build this, you, got, you buy this and it says some assembly required. And there's like, there's two groups of people. There's rule followers that follow the instructions and there's people who look at the picture, right? So some assembly required, you know, if you're like me and you just dump it all out and try to follow without the instructions, you're going to make something that doesn't look like the picture. You're going to have extra pieces over here and you're going to try to convince your wife that it's okay and she's going to tell you, no, 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 it doesn't look like the picture. There's a reason that this screw is here or the shelf should be here, right? Little disobedience can lead to big disasters. But I think of this on a practical level. I think of this show on Netflix called Nailed It. Anybody ever seen that show, Nailed It? It's a baking show, right? And what they try to do is the judges give them a, a, a kind of a cake or a cookie to judge off of, and they're supposed to try to make it, right? All they have to do is follow the instructions, right? The recipe. The recipe's right there for them. The picture's right there for them. All they have to do is follow what the picture says and the recipe says. But over and over again, it starts to look like this, Right? Or there's another one, it's supposed to look like this, and it turns out to look like this, right? And they're just missing a couple steps. But here's my personal favorite. How do you mess up a smiley face? Looks like this, right? And they just, if you watch the show, they just miss a couple pieces here and there. They, they forget to add a little bit of flour, a little bit of sugar. I don't know what this person forgot, but they forget to do something, and it creates a disaster, well, these Israelites, they're thinking they're doing the right thing. They're like, God, they had iron chari chariots. They were too strong for us. We put them in slavery. God, why are you upset with us? We're still in charge. Isn't that what you wanted? And what they did is they had these excuses that they thought justified their disobedience. God, we can't drive them out. They're too strong. We can't get rid of them. They don't want to leave. We can't do this and we can't do that. And God's saying, listen, it's not that you couldn't. It's that you wouldn't. You wouldn't do it. He's like, it's not that you weren't strong enough. I told you I'll be with you. I'm strong enough. It's that you wouldn't listen. That you didn't think I was who I said I was. It's not that you couldn't. It's that you wouldn't. So, I started thinking about that this week and thinking about church and thinking about you guys and thinking about my life. And I, and I just wonder where am I saying or where are you saying I can't? And God's actually saying it's not that you can't, it's that you won't. It's not that you, you're not able to, it's that you won't do it. You won't do it. And we've got to look at our lives as like the, the promised land, Canaan, right? And all the sins and the desires and the disobedience in us, those are the Canaanites. And God says, all you got to do is go get rid of those Canaanites. Send little seeds of faith, send little soldiers of faith, and get rid of the Canaanites. God's like, get rid of all that sin, get rid of this and this. And you're like, God, I can't. God, I can't have integrity at work. Everybody else is getting ahead here, and they're cheating, and they're cutting corners. I can't have integrity. God, I, I know you say forgive someone, 
but I can't forgive them. That, that, that hurts too much. God, I, I know I'm not supposed to have, you know, give in to sexual sin, but I can't stop. It feels way too good. God, I, I can't, I can't, I can't. God is saying, no, no. It's not that you can't. It's that you won't get rid of them. It wasn't that Israel couldn't get rid of them. It's that they wouldn't. And you're going to start to see from this moment on, from this little disobedience, is going to come big disaster. Because we go on. In Judges chapter 2, in verse 12, it's going to say this. They forsake the Lord, the, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. And they followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. And then it continues. And then it's going to talk, start to say what happens. So God gets mad at this. And in, in his, and in his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them in the hands of the raiders who plundered them. God gave them to the people they were supposed to drive out. They were plundered, right? It's like the Cincinnati Bengals playing football. Like, it's not working, right? And he sold them into the hands of their enemies. They become slaves to their enemies. All around whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the land, the Lord handed over, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. They enter this promised land, and all they had to do was obey, and everything was going to be okay. But they don't. So then they get beaten down. They get sold into slavery. They no longer can win battles, and they're in great distress. And what we see here is that compromise in our lives leads to bondage. If there's ever a Bible verse or ever instances in the Bible where it shows that sin leads to slavery, it's right here. Sin promises freedom but brings only bondage. The Israelites thought, if we just do what we want to do, if we just live our way, we're going to be okay. Right, it's freedom. Right, God, if you just give us freedom and do what we want, there's no king, we're going to be all right. What happened? They become slaves. What happens in our lives? Maybe we say we're going to live for money. Money's going to become our number one pursuit. We want to get rich. So you start saying, that's my goal. So what starts happening is you start working more hours. You start focusing on it nonstop, right? And there's nothing wrong with making money. But all of a sudden... That money becomes your identity. All of a sudden, a certain amount that you thought was enough was never enough. And you get caught in this cycle, chasing and chasing and chasing money to make you feel good. That doesn't sound like freedom. It sounds like slavery. Maybe you say, you know what, I just want to be liked by other people. I want other people to see me, and I want them to praise me. I want to look at my life on social media, and I want it to be okay. I want them to like me. So you, li you do things and you live in such a way where all you're doing is looking for praise of people. And when you don't get it, it ruins your entire mood, your entire day. That doesn't sound like freedom. It sounds like slavery. What about addiction? Addiction is all over around our county and our communities. It promises you that when you take the substance, you're going to feel good. But then all of a sudden, the only way you can feel good and feel right is by taking the substance. That doesn't sound like freedom. That sounds like slavery. This compromise leads to them being in bondage. 
this compromise of what God says in our lives is going to lead us to the place we don't ultimately want to be. And then there's a final thing we learn. And this is where I, I believe it ultimately went wrong. I think God can work through our disobedience. I think God can work through our, our, our sin. But when it comes to the great downfall in Judges, it was generational. And what we learn, and it's so interesting that Father's Day is this week because this was not planned. We're doing child dedication on Sunday. But you're always one generation away from destruction. You're always one generation away from destruction. Look what Judges says in chapter 2, verse 7. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done. So the, the generation that knew Joshua and the generation after them who knew Joshua served the Lord, right? But something else happens, right? These people know him, they love him, they know what God has done. But after that, after that, after the sons, the, the grandpas and the dads and moms and grandmas passed away, after that, the whole generation had, had been gathered to their ancestors. One generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Whole generation no longer knows. Whole generation no longer cares. Whole generation no longer even is worried or concerned about God. Then, because of this, the Israelites did evil in the, the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. The Baals were, were their gods, the false gods. They forsake the Lord. They forsook the Lord, the, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. The author is saying, listen, the God who rescued them that they should have known about, they turned on. Joshua and his generation get to the promised land. They serve God faithfully. The next, they have kids and their kids serve God faithfully. But by the time we get to the grandpas, the grandkids of the grandpas from Joshua's generation, they no longer serve God. They knew the stories. They knew about Egypt. They knew about the wall of Jericho. They knew of God rescuing them. But they just don't care. They don't care. They live like everybody else around them. They live like the Canaanites. They live and they serve their gods and they, they're disobeying. And, and at this point in Judges, they're so far from God. And in one generation, in one generation, we go from a people who have saw God knock down the walls of Jericho to a generation that doesn't know God at all. To that quick. It's essentially like us one day. Our grandkids never fill these chairs. And the chairs are empty. In one generation, we've got a generation that doesn't know God at all. And that should scare us. Because if you don't know history, history, you will repeat history. One generation. We're one generation away from destruction. So we should look at this and say, what does this mean for us? Because if it can happen to the people that God brought out of Egypt and brought into the promised land, couldn't it happen to us in 2021? And the answer is absolutely. 
So, so to get here, we have to look and we got to realize like, we got to understand the next generation. We got to understand what they're going through. We got we to look at them and know them so we can pass on the baton of faith. Because here's, here's what we know about the next generation. Generation growing up, kids growing up now. They're growing up in a different world than you. Some of you, some of you did, were alive before the internet and lived throughout before the internet, before TV, right? Before, you know, all, you know, YouTube TV and YouTube and social media. The kids grow up in a different world. Most of us never or moderately faced opposition because we are Christian. The kids that are going to our church right now are in high school and junior high and younger will live in a culture that openly is against Christianity. They will not know a time in their life where that they are not put in a box because of what they believe sexually, what they believe about sin, what they believe about God. They're growing up in a different world than us. Kids today receive more than 10,000 messages and notifications a day on TikTok, text messages, Instagram. They don't use Facebook, so they're not on there. Twitter, right? 10,000 messages. They grew up in a culture with on-demand, with on-demand Netflix, with on-demand Amazon, Amazon Prime, right? They grew up in this culture. They're different than us. They dress different than us. They do this silly sheesh thing. I don't know what they're talking about, right? They're, they grow up in a world that's different than us. They look different than us. They talk different than us. They act different than us. And it's okay. But we have to realize that and we have to address that. And I believe this, that there's any hope for the next generation that the church should lead the way in empowering and leading the next generation. Who better to lead and guide the next generation than the church? And there's this quote I heard when I was a youth minister, and this is really why I got into ministry was because of the next generation. And I heard this quote, and I, and I come back to it over and over again. Whoever wants the next generation more will get them. Church or culture? Who wants them? Because there's a battle. And there's a, the, the church wants them, culture wants them. And they are completely different. They teach different things. They act differently. They talk differently. But we have to want them. We have to say, I want them to know that they matter. We have to say, I want them to know about the God that changed our lives. I want them to know that there's a God who loves them and sent his son Jesus to them. I want them to know that there is such thing as truth. I want them to know what God says about sexuality and sin. I want them to know that the church loves them and that we're here for them as they grow. And we want them to know that we want them more than culture wants them. And if we want them, because we're all going to say we want them, but if we want the next generation we better act like it, and we better live like it. If we want them, you better act like it. You better live like it. You better be okay with some changes. Because again, they grew up in a different era than us. They experienced life different than us. You better live like it. You better live like your faith matters. Because they're watching. And if we want them, we better act like it. We better live like it. And I love, there's a song that it's Psalm 78, you can read the whole thing. We don't have time to do that. But it says, we will not hide them from their descendants. All right, we're going to let them know, their ancestors. We will tell the next generation, the next generation, the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. The author's like, tell God, 
Tell, tell the next generation about God. Tell the next generation about the wonders that God has done in your life. Tell the next generation about who God is and what God can do. Let them know. And what is mind-blowing is we've got Joshua and his generation the, the very people who saw God do amazing works and bring them in the promised land. Amazing works. They saw God work like, like ways we may never see in our lives and they experienced it. And two generations later, their grandchildren grow up and they don't know God. And we don't know how. Were they so busy fighting the battles in Canaan and the promised land that they forgot to sit down and say, hey, this is who God was. This is who God is. This is what God has done. When they put their kids to bed at night, did they not tell them of the stories and wonders about who God was? Did they, did they not live it out? Did, did something happen when they got in the promised land? Did they get too content and say we're happy and things are good? And that God just kind of was pushed to the side because they had what they wanted? We don't know what happened. But what we do know is that there's a generation that grew up. They didn't know God. And what happened? Destruction. They stopped carrying on the baton of faith. And a great big God became so small in their eyes of his people that an entire generation could no longer see him. As parents, as grandparents, as aunts and uncles, as brothers and sisters, as a minister, as ministers, as people who attend a church that cares so much about the youth, that's why we hire children minister and the youth minister and pour resources in the youth ministry. We're baton carriers. We have a responsibility to the next generation to pass the baton off. And we need to pass it off better than what we got it. That's our responsibility. At the end of my life and someday when I'm no longer a minister and I pass that baton to a minister who will someday preach here or another church and I don't leave that church in a better state, I failed. And if we don't leave this church in a better state for the next generation, not just this church, I'm just talking about Christianity, then we failed. In junior high in high school, I ran track. And one of the funnest races that I ran was a relay race, right? And, and it's all about passing the baton, all right? You got to know that, like, especially in the, the sprint races, it's a matter of seconds or split seconds or tenths of a second. So how you pass the baton matters. And, and one year, I was on a 4 by 2 and the 4 by 2 was really good. Now, I'll be honest, I was the slowest person in the 4 by 2 So I'm not telling the story about, brag about me. I don't know how I got in it. I was in it. But we basically, all the regular season, we went undefeated. So we went into the sectional, big track meet, right? Ranked number one. All we had to do, all we had to do was what we did every single meet before this, right? They, this, this is kind of how it went. First runner would go. He's really fast. We get a lead. Second runner would go. That was me. I would lose the lead. The third runner would run. He was really fast and they'd get, he'd get the lead back. And by the time we got to our anchor, the last person, we took first place, right? And that's kind of the cycle we went through. So at sectionals, we're going through this. First runner runs, first place. Gets to me. By the time I hand it off, we're in fourth place. Not, not making this up. Hand it to the third runner, right? He gets in first place again. Gets to the final runner, and this guy's so fast. He gets there, and he goes for a blind, you know, handoff, and he drops the baton. He stays in our lane, he picks it up. We took sixth place. 
you gotta take first two, first or second to get to state. And we missed the mark because we didn't pass the baton. Every baton carrier, so every one of us has the potential to push back the kingdom of darkness and advance the kingdom of heaven. All of us have that opportunity. How we carry the baton is either going to push the next generation forward or push them back. And we're all baton carriers. And every single one of us has the opportunity to bring the kingdom of darkness forward. We can advance the kingdom or we can bring it back. But you're a baton carrier. And we got to realize that. And it doesn't happen accidentally. It, do, it doesn't just happen by mistake. We got to be intentional. And you know what it takes? It takes a sacrifice. What, is it, what do I mean by that? And we're going to have to sacrifice some things that we may like and we may grow up that maybe make us comfortable, but it's just a tradition. It's going to take intentionality. It's going to take perseverance. It's going to take patience. You're going to have to show a lot of grace. You're going to have to offer some forgiveness because you, you know what it's like to be young. You're going to mess up. But ultimately, we got to show them how to live. We got to show them how to live out their faith. We got to show them what it means. We got to show them what it means to be a Christian. We got to help them live out their faith better. You got to teach them how to pray. You got to teach them to read their Bible. You got to teach them that's not all about TikTok and Instagram. You got to teach them that TikTok and Instagram are not the influential voices of culture. You got to teach them about going to church and how to be consistent in their faith. I want to talk to parents for one second. There, there's a man named John Piper, and Nate's going to put the quote up here in a second. And John Piper said this, and John Piper's a minister, been doing it for, for years. And he says this, The most influential theological teachers a child should ever have are mom and dad. Not the best, not the most the ones that know it all, but the most influential theological teachers a child should ever have are mom and dad. So that means, as parents, what do you show your children your priorities are? Do you live out the gospel? Do they see it in your time and your energy? If they were to evaluate the activities that you have them in, what would they say is important in life? And how we answer those questions, not individually, but as a church, will show us how far the next generation will rise or the next generation will fall. But we're one generation away from destruction. So we got to learn from judging and say, we got to pass the baton in the right way. Because this right here, I believe, ultimately is the downfall of the Israelites. God gets angry at them. Because they don't know him. He, they end up being in captivity and things aren't going well. But out of God's love and grace, we read this. And this is going to catapult us into the next area. Is verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Out of God's grace, even though they didn't know him, God says, I love you too much to give up on you. Just like we love the next generation too much to give up on them. And he raised up judges to rescue them. Ultimately, these judges will fail. But for the next several weeks, we're going to read their stories of failure. We're going to learn from them. It's going to be wild. It's going to be fun. It's going to be bizarre. But we're going to see something that all of them point to why we need Jesus. And don't forget, as we go through this series, even in the middle of our rebellion, 
God always offers us a way back. Even in the middle of a rebellion, God's going to offer us a way back. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for who you are. We're so thankful for what you give us. God, and we pray that we defeat the, the little Canaanites and the areas of sin in our lives. God, we really want to focus on just the next generation for a second. God, we got so many great people that are from the older generation. They're older than the youngest people here. That could be great leaders and great teachers, Father. So I pray that we, we, we learn from their wisdom and their guidance, God. And that we become this intergenerational church that is just on fire for you. God, also at this time, we, we want to take a moment and just pray about communion. And just thank you that we don't have to go through the cycle of judges God, Jesus says, I'm going to end the cycle where, where you're always in chaos and I'm going to give you an opportunity to follow me. And he said on the last night of his life, he says, do this in remembrance of me. And as we remember, we're remembering our sins that, that Jesus died for. We're remembering the sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. So God, as we say amen today, I pray we take a few moments to reflect on that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. It's been great hanging out with you guys today. I hope that message challenges you and encourages you today. We would love to have you on campus sometime at one of our services at 8.30 or 10.45 on Sunday. Or to find out more information about RSEC, you can always go to the RSEC Family app. Or follow us on any social media platform at RSEC Family. Most of all, remember, you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says you matter. Now go and be blessed.